Today's reading comes from John chapter 21, verses 15 to 19. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. After saying this, he said to him, follow me. You may be seated. Thank you. As you're seated, let me pray for us. God, our Father, as we embark on another year, I ask you that you would help us to live lives that are centered upon your son, Jesus. That we would live lives that glorify you. That we would recognize that we are dependent people. And that we would depend on the work of your spirit in our lives in every way. We ask you that you would help us to behold you. To have fresh eyes to see how you are at work in our lives. That you give us ears to hear your word. And that you give us hearts that believe, God. Because we know that in believing and in anchoring our hope in your son Jesus and his work on our behalf. We know that, God, you will be glorified through our lives. And so we trust you and ask you that you would help us with this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now listen to this quote. You know, like quotes on the new year? Here's a quote for you. No one is more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you more than you do. No one is more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you more than you do. Now this is not um, coming from some sort of weird, mystical, new age, something, something, positive speech thing. This is a pretty faithful pastor named Paul Tripp who said this. And he had a point behind it. We all have an internal monologue running that is constantly taking in information, judging our surroundings, reasoning through why we just did what we did, or or working through why we react a certain way in a certain situation. And then that, that conversation continues within us. And that inner monologue can say a lot of things. We can say a lot of things to ourselves. It's the inner monologue that can tell you that you can continue running when you're out out for a jog. You can do this. Push through. It's also the inner monologue that goes, it's not your day. Just quit. (laughs) It's that internal voice. And the point is you're constantly involved in an internal conversation with yourself and it greatly influences the decisions that you make, the things that you say, and the consequential actions that come from those thoughts and decisions. And my point is, how informed is my internal monologue? This is the question I want you to ask yourself today. How informed is my internal monologue by the truth of who God is and who God says I am in Christ? You've got a conversation happening. There's a conversation going on. I'm just asking the question. Is that conversation informed by the truth? No one is more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you more than you do. So it stands to reason we should do some work to make sure that the most influential voice in our life is rehearsing the truth, not a lie. 
that we're trusting the gospel of Jesus Christ and not believing some lie that we have received in some other venue, in some other way that we've taken on board. We need to make sure that the most influential voice in our life is coming under the authority of Scripture and the promises of Scripture in terms of who God says we are and how we're called to live. See, who we are as individuals needs to be defined more by the truth of God, who he is, and by who he says we are in Christ. It needs to be exponentially more defined by that than any other factor. See, we all build our identities over time, and who we are is, is certainly the outcome or the product of our background and our experiences and our education and, and the geography of our upbringing, maybe even the beliefs that we held maybe before we walked into this room today. But the, if those things become primary identifiers of who we are, and they're not informed by the greater truth of who God is and who he says we are, then we're missing a very critical component of our identity. And for those of you who may not be followers of Jesus, this might be, it might be brand new to you. Because your whole life you've been told you need to define who you are. That that is some sort of self-derived identity. You need to decide who you are. And that's the narrative of our culture. It's actually a ton of weight to carry. And so if you're not a follower of Jesus, you might feel like that's a crushing weight on your shoulders. Just, we agree with you. That's a lot. Christianity is different. We believe that God is the one who tells us who we are and how we're called to live. And we then shape our identity around that revelation. See, it's received. It's not achieved. So you don't have to self-define. You actually get to receive that identity and live into it. Very, very different. So I would say that all of us today, we either need to consider, maybe for the first time, or reconsider who God says we are. Because you may have come here today believing a lie. When the truth of what God says in his word to us, it's so good. We don't want to leave here believing a lie. Amen? So I want to just talk about the life of Peter a little bit. I want to take through some of the events of the life of Peter, and I think we can talk about who we are in Christ by accessing some of his story. Um, I want to look at some of the critically defining factors of who Peter was. I'll just take you through a bunch of texts, and um, hopefully it will come together in a way that impacts not just us in this moment, but the way that it carries us through this year. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 says, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, and that's talking about Jesus, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. So Jesus called Peter and his brother to join him on his mission. He, he sees them, calls them, says, Come follow me. Come be people who proclaim the gospel and follow me. And Peter just drops what he does. He just drops what he's doing. And he goes and follows Jesus. And I just want you to see that first and foremost, Peter knows that he was chosen by Jesus. And then he was called to follow Jesus. Can I just say to you today, Peter was chosen by Jesus before he did anything good for Jesus? You too. We come to Jesus by grace. Through faith, not because you're awesome. You are awesome. It's wonderful. Just self-pat on the back. Happy New Year. That's not, that's not why Jesus chose you to come follow him. Keep going. At one point in, in, in his life, Jesus is with his disciples. And, and Jesus asks 
all of them, who do people say I am? Who do people say I am? They offer up some of the opinions that they've heard other people talking about. Well, so-and-so says you're this, and this group says you're this. And he goes, yeah, but who do you say I am? Matthew chapter 16, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It's a big moment in Peter's life. Jesus asks a question. Peter just nails it, right? Peter gets it, right? There's a couple different groups of people in the room. You're a student in school. You're, you're, you're in elementary school. You're the one who just sat there quietly. You're like, I don't actually care what's going on. There's other groups of people, right? You sat there quietly because you're just humble and quiet. And then there's the rest of us. We're like, we need to get it right first. Like my teacher wouldn't finish answering or asking the question before I'm in the back like this. Yeah, pick me, pick me, pick me, pick me. I might be wrong, but I'm going to go boldly into it. Pick me, right? That's Peter, but he nails it. It's so good that Jesus changes his name. It's not just Simon, he's Peter. Peter means rock. He's now a foundational player in what Jesus is going to do with the church. That, that must have felt good right? Keep going. <laughs> Check out the next dialogue. Jesus goes on, says some nice things to Peter, and then Jesus starts to tell them that, in fact, uh, in, in the life of Jesus, he is going to progress in, in his mission, and he's going to actually start to suffer, and then he's going to suffer at the hands of others and be put to death. And Jesus starts to tell his disciples this. And Peter, filled with this newfound confidence at being right, decides he's going to offer Jesus a little word of counsel, which always is funny. Matthew 16, verse 22, Peter took him aside. Just stop there for a second. Can you imagine going up to the Lord of the universe and going, come here, come here, come here, come here. <laughs> Jesus, let me, let me explain something to you. <laughs> hey, it's funny. I just wonder how often we do it. I'm just saying, on occasion, I have counseled the Lord. It's just as funny as this. It's just a little sadder when it's me by myself. <laughs> Lord... <laughs> Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Jesus praises him because he's had a revelation. And he perceives that Jesus is the Messiah who's come to save the world. And then in the next verse, Jesus calls Peter Satan. And it's a bad day at the office for disciple Peter. You ever have somebody say something to you that cuts right to your core, like leaves a mark on you? Some of us have had people who we respected or who we looked up to speak things into our lives that have left, left scars. Imagine how deeply implanted the words of Jesus would have been in the memory of Peter when he says, get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. How do you recover from that? Keep going. Look at the Last Supper. This is the Thursday night before Good Friday when Jesus would be crucified. So it's the night that Jesus would be betrayed. The disciples are together having a meal. It says in John chapter 13, verse 36, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I'll lay my life down for you. And Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? 
Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. It's in the evening, they're having dinner, and Jesus says, look, the sun's not going to come up before you've denied me. Peter makes this bold declaration. He declares his intent to follow Jesus. He's got this unswerving passion that says he is going to die even if he needs to for Jesus. Jesus says, oh, Peter. (laughs) So the story unfolds and Jesus takes Peter and a couple others with him to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus ends up being betrayed and arrested. And then Jesus is taken in and he's questioned by the high priests. So he's now being questioned. He's taken aside. John chapter 18, verse 17 says, The servant girl at the door, so this is the door where Jesus has just gone in to be questioned. Peter's on the outside of it. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You're not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers made a charcoal fire because it was cold. And they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with him standing and warming himself. He's standing next to the charcoal fire, warming his hands. Peter denies Jesus standing next to the charcoal fire, denies him for the first time there. Verse 25, now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. He's still there by the charcoal fire. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it. I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it. And at once the rooster crowed. Jesus is being interrogated by the officials, the leaders. Before the sun can even come up the next morning after the Last Supper and Peter's declaration of this bold faith, before the sun can even come up, standing around a charcoal fire, Peter has denied Jesus three times. In Luke's gospel, it says, Peter went out and wept bitterly. Now, by all accounts, Peter's the lead disciple. He's the one who stands up and speaks first. He seems to be the leader among them, or at least the spokesperson for them. He's always mentioned first when the disciples are listed. He's the one that they always look to. And yet here he is in the midst of the trial of Jesus, denying that he even knew him. I would just say some of you might be here after a long season of trying to deny that you know Jesus. Others of you might be just sick about the times that you've denied Christ for whatever reason. Maybe you've been living a double life, one where you live as though Jesus is unknown to you when you're around certain groups of people. And the other side of your life where you show up with your church friends and you worship him. You may have wandered off and you may have done your own thing. You may have struggled with the demands of the Christian life. You may have felt the cultural pressure for you to conform to certain moral visions of our day and age that would require you to deny Christ. You may feel the pressure if you're a student in school university. Classmates and professors may pressure you. Uh, Those of you in the workforce, you may feel that, where you have to make decisions on a daily basis of how you're going to live out your Christian faith in a visible way, or you have to decide if you're going to just mute that. This is the pressure we live with. 
And, and I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but I, I don't think that's going to change a ton in 2023. So we might as well acknowledge that it's there and figure out how we're going to live in light of it. What I want you to see, what I want you to see is the grace of God. I want you to see that though you may have wandered off and done your own thing or struggled with the demands of the Christian life and in the sense of how you live this out around other people, that you may have in word and deed functionally denied knowing Jesus. You may have. I just want you to see God's grace in this. I want you to see the way that Jesus pursues Peter and I believe pursues all of us who at times have denied him. Because in the text right before ours this morning, the one that was read earlier, it's, it's after the resurrection of Jesus and the disciples have already encountered him and Peter says, I'm a fisherman. I'm going to go back to fishing. Some of the other disciples join him. Just look at John chapter 21, verse 4. It says, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in the boat dragging the net full of fish for they were not far from land but about 100 yards off. When they got on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. I want you to see the way that God speaks to Peter. The way that Jesus comes to him and speaks to him directly. Peter's story is the story of two charcoal fires. I want you to imagine the combination of emotions that must have overcome Peter at the sound of the rooster. He had just denied Jesus three times after like, say, 10 or 12 hours earlier saying, I'll, I'll die for you. The fear and the shame and the guilt and the realization of what he had done in denying Jesus would have weighed heavy upon him. Now imagine being the guy who says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, and then the next day rebukes Jesus, gets called Satan and a hindrance. This is all in Peter's head, right? Imagine the internal monologue of Jesus. Uh, not of Jesus, the internal monologue of Peter. Peter saying, I had a chance. I was the star disciple of Jesus and I failed. Jesus said, I'm a hindrance to him. I am a hindrance. In fact, Peter would have maybe thought things like, I'm actually worse than that. I'm an enemy of Jesus. I couldn't even stay awake to pray in the Greatest hour of temptation for Jesus. I just fell asleep while he was laboring in prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. I said I would be there to die for Jesus, but when I was standing around that stupid charcoal fire, I denied him three times, just like Jesus said I would. And Jesus and all of the rest of the disciples know that I'm a failure. How many of you carry a running list of failures that are just cycling in that internal monologue? How many of you can rehearse your mistakes and your failures in a more profound way than you can rehearse the truth of the gospel of the grace of God to us in Christ? I 
I know that many of you feel the weight of the condemnation of the mistakes that you've made and the sin that you've committed, the things that you've done, the things that you've left undone. But I just want you to know there's good news in this. Peter jumps off the boat, right? He's got John, they're on the boat fishing together. John goes, oh my gosh, it's the Lord. Peter, being bold, (laughs) jumps, goes, I'm going to leave the disciples to clean up the rest of the fish. Jumps off, starts swimming to shore. Gets to the shore and he's hit with a familiar sight and a familiar smell. He's hit with the charcoal fire. The thing about a charcoal fire is that it does have a memorable aroma and glow to it. It's different than other kinds of fire. There's only two charcoal fires mentioned in the whole Bible. And they're both mentioned in John's Gospel. There's only two charcoal fires mentioned in the whole Bible, and the second one was lit by Jesus. It's a very specific point that John is trying to help us to see in his Gospel. Jesus cooks them breakfast over the charcoal fire, and and then this is what it says in verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Peter's having a fresh encounter with Jesus. And here's what I see in this that I think we need to consider today. We need to consider ourselves today. We need to look at this. We need to see Peter's encounter with Jesus. I just want you to see what happens. Because Jesus goes off and is crucified and he dies and he is buried and then he is resurrected and he comes back to Peter who had failed him and denied him. There's something going on in the conversation that we see here. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus and Jesus now coming and appearing to Peter again and having a conversation with him, he is being restored in relationship. He's actually being commissioned for his purpose and his calling of mission right here in this text. And he's being called to follow Jesus in that cross-shaped path of discipleship once again. You're going to see this in the text as we continue. I think Peter's essentially written himself off in this. I think Peter's pretty sure he's damaged goods and that the most fruitful ministry he had is now behind him. I think Peter at this point has decided the best thing he can do is just go back to fishing. I think he believes there's no room for him in Jesus' ministry in an ongoing way, and I think he believes he's simply too far gone. He was a simple fisherman before Jesus called him, and he has denied Jesus. He might as well just go back to being a simple fisherman. Look at verse 15. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? What he means is, do you love me more than these other disciples? That's what I think. Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs, Jesus said. Feed my lambs. Jesus says a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, tend my sheep. And then Jesus says the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And I think Peter's grieved here because he says to him the third time, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus says, feed my sheep. 
Jesus asks Peter three times if he loved him. One for every time he denied him. Jesus commissions Peter to shepherd the flock of God entrusted to his care, and he does it three times. One for every time he denied him. The first charcoal fire was the place of denial. The second charcoal fire is the place of restoration. The restoration and commissioning here applies to Peter. I don't think it's only for Peter. I think it's for all of us, first and foremost, as disciples of Jesus, who Jesus has called to take up the cross and follow him. Here's why I say that. It says in John 21, verse 18, Truly, truly, I say to you, he's talking to Peter again, When you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this to him, he said, follow me. Follow me is the first word we see of Jesus speaking to Peter. Peter's fishing. Follow me. Here Jesus says it again. After his denial of him, follow me. See, Jesus had not given up on Peter. He called him once to follow him, and here he calls him again. This is Jesus Christ raised from the dead, coming to Peter and showing him what he needs to do. See, we are restored to him in relationship. We are commissioned for mission and called to follow Jesus in a cruciform path of discipleship. Cross-shaped. It's not always easy. You can put yourself right there in the text. Jennifer, do you love me? Hear it from Jesus. Stephen, do you love me? Joshua, do you love me? Susan, do you love me? You can hear your voice or his voice in your name. You might know you might know John's gospel, you might not. You might not know that there's also a story in there about a guy named Thomas. Thomas was the one who doubted the resurrection of Jesus. Thomas and Peter, different. Thomas was the one that doubted the resurrection of Jesus, but uh, once he had a massive encounter with the risen Jesus, then he makes a bold declaration. So Thomas is the one who has the encounter with the risen Jesus, then makes the bold declaration, Jesus, Jesus is risen. Thomas declares him, my Lord and my God. Peter's the one who makes the bold declaration and then falls off the map. Thomas and Peter are different. Thomas doubted, then moved into bold declaration. Peter made a bold declaration, then he moved into denial. And I'm just saying to you, I don't really care who you identify with in the story. This is what we all need to see, that Jesus came to both of them. He showed up to Peter, and he shows up in the locked room to Thomas. So if you're paralyzed by your doubts today, and you're trying to figure out how you're going to keep moving forward with the Christian faith that you have, and how you're going to hold on to this, don't worry, Jesus will come to you. He's so good. You might be in the low point of your faith life. That's okay, though. Just let Jesus come to you. Don't stop hanging out with his disciples. That's what, that's what Thomas did. Thomas was just with the disciples of Jesus, even though he was doubting, and all of a sudden Jesus showed up in the midst of it. I'm just going to say that. Don't, don't stop hanging out with his disciples. If you're broken more by your failure, not by your doubts, but your failure, Jesus will come to you.
If you think you're damaged goods and God's not going to use you, I just want to say you're wrong. He'll come to you. He'll commission you to follow him. It doesn't matter if you think like Thomas or if you think like Peter or if you have an excuse of why God could not possibly use you. I just need you to hear he's going to come for you too. He'll come to you. You're not too old. You're not too young. You're not too far gone. You're not too broken. You're not too dowdy. He'll come to you. I think the most important thing you need to hear is that if you're entirely fixated today on why God can't use you, I just want you to hear with all of the tenderness of my pastoral heart, you might have put yourself a little too close to the center of the whole story if you've just got reason after reason why God can't use you. And, and again, gently with love, it's actually not about you. That's the point here. It's not about me. It's not about you. At least it's not primarily about us. It's not about Thomas. It's not about Peter. Right, left to our own strength, we're not going to make it either way. It's not about us. I think that's the whole point. You need him. This is how Paul the Apostle said it many years later. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Paul the Apostle said, And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's not about you. You can stack up all of the stuff you've messed up on. You can stack up all of your doubt. You can stack up all of your pride. You can stack up, I don't care what it is. Figure it out. <laughs> Name it. Put it on one side of the scale. And then realize it's actually not about you because Christ's grace toward you just outweighs it by a lot. He who began a good work in you will bring you home in the end. It's not primarily about you. There's a guy named Kent Hughes who talks about this verse and it's stuck in my brain for years. He says, it's not my grip on God, but God's grip on me. It's not my confidence in me, it's my confidence in God. He, the way Kent Hughes phrased it, he said, it's the godness of God that I'm counting on. Yes. We're not perfect in our pursuit of Jesus. Jesus is perfect in his pursuit of us. Make sure you put your trust and faith in the right side of that scale. If you're trusting in your perfection, it's going to be a rough year. But if you're trusting in his perfection, you can come to him with all your mess and you can keep coming to him with all your mess. And as long as you don't give up repenting, it's going to go well. Don't forget who you're dealing with here. And I, I just want to challenge your internal monologue because no one in your life is more influential than you are. No one talks to you more than you do. This morning, you may need to, for the first time, consider who God says you are or you may need to reconsider who he says you are. I don't know. But how do you see God? Right? Is he the one who's shaking the proverbial, you know, crooked finger at you, just shaking it because he's angry? Is that your conception of your loving father? Is he shaking a bony finger at you in your shame as he looks upon your life? Or is he the one who graciously pursues you in spite of knowing all of your mistakes? Jesus built a charcoal fire to rewrite part of Peter's story. Just think about this for a second. Like, smells have a weird thing with our memories. Smells, I mean, this is scientifically documented. This is not me trying to be artistic. When we smell certain things, it brings us to an, a place of memory. 
Imagine if for the rest of Peter's life, he only had the first charcoal fire. That's how the guy ate. Daily, that's how he would have been eating. Imagine if every single time he sat near a charcoal fire, all he could think about was his denial of Jesus. (laughs) Jesus rewrites it. He invites him to a charcoal fire where he restores him in relationship, where he gives him the purpose and he commissions him in his calling. And he says, follow me. That's how gracious he is. He doesn't want you to have a bad memory every time you smell something funny. Let him restore you. It might be time for you to reconsider how God looks at you and what he's calling you to do and who he's calling you to be. I just want to say, Christ City, do you love him? Do you love him? For all of us who failed, we need to know that there is one who never will. Let's trust him. Amen? Stand and respond, please.